Hello, Surgery Center listeners, and welcome to episode number nine of the Excellentia podcast, Surgery Center Chat. I'm Kathy Montgomery, and I'm here today with Roger Manning. Hi, everybody. Roger and I have been involved in the new development of surgery centers for some time now. Our clients come to us in various stages of development, and we approach these projects just as we do all of our other services that we offer. No cookie-cutter approach. In other words, we don't turn down requests because it doesn't fit into our standard model. We've always believed that the best approach is to find out what the client needs and see how we can help them meet their goal. So if the floor plans are drawn... Sure, we would have liked to have been engaged in the front end, but we still feel that we can assist in getting that facility open. So never say never. With that said, I feel like we can offer some advice on maybe how to sequentially put the process in order so there's not so many hiccups along the way. As I have said, we have seen a lot of projects and everyone's a little bit different and unique, but all experienced one or more moments where everyone seems to take a pause and reflect, if only I had done it this way, or if only I had known that. Okay, Kathy, what would you say is the most important thing for surgeons to do before they start building a surgery center? And let me emphasize getting a contractor or architect involved. Well, my first suggestion, one that I often find missing, is to develop some type of a formal performa. There may be a gut feeling that this project and outlay of capital makes sense, but until you pencil it out, I'm just not sure you can be 100%. That's always my first step. Even if I come in after the project has been started, yes, even if the ground is purchased and the shovels are in hand, if you're starting at the beginning, you need to understand the viability of the project. And if you have already broke ground or you're just thinking about starting and the numbers don't work out, perhaps there looks like a shortfall on the revenue such that it will take longer to recover from the capital investment than you're willing to tolerate. This doesn't necessarily mean it's a deal breaker. You just need to think about the size and scope of the project. Where can you pare it down? Do you really need two ORs? That might be a good question. Or are there opportunities to increase revenue stream by maybe partnering with somebody, whether they're in your specialty or not? Yes, that means you might have to, you know, give up a piece of the pie. But if you are working with like performers, you should come out okay and be able to share the expense of the project. This is generally the, the point where you decide if you're going to build, if you're going to rehab a facility, or maybe you're going to lease. Again, unless... Of course, you've already started the build. Let's go with that scenario for the rest of this discussion. You know, Kathy, we've uh, been brought into the last three projects now after the surgeon signed a deal with the contractor and the architects and had their plans already drawn up. And in the case of the most recent deal I can think of, the medical office building that was going to be redesigned had um, its plans drawn up before we even got to look at them. And Then in all three cases, once we got involved, we found things that weren't done correctly, and we had to have modifications to the plan that were costly to the surgeon owners. 
Yes, I understand. Um, and that, that is very true. The best possible approach that will get you going in the right direction is to choose an architect that has built an ASC before. It doesn't matter much if that was in your state, although that would be helpful, but they have to have some ASC-specific 2012 life safety code experience from start to finish to pull this off for you to pass a survey. And don't be fooled. A hospital is not the same. Yes, I get it that hospital has ORs, but that is the only similarity that I can really think of. Same thing with dialysis centers, not the same as an ASC. And remember, a blessing from the fire marshal means means that the space meets the local fire code. A blessing from the State Department of Health means that the drawlings have the correct rooms, the right size, but neither the fire marshal nor the Department of Health cares or even knows exactly what the life safety surveyor is going to be looking for. And this could be very costly in terms of a rebuild and lost time, which means pushing out your start date. You're going to spend more money to potentially tear out something that you've already paid for. And you're losing the revenue that you were counting on with that CCN number that you need to get started is now pushed out, maybe months, not just weeks. Roger, I know a project you recently were working on who will remain nameless encountered this exact problem. Yes, we have experienced this more than once, as I said before, and the story seems always to be the same. The surgeon owners get the itch to build a surgery center. Then they reach out and contact a contractor or an architect, and then the contractor architect convinces them that they've the necessary experience, oftentimes misleading them. Maybe they're not misleading them, but they obviously want the business, so they're going to tell them they can do it. And then the surgeon signed the deal to build a center, and in my case, the contract that was, uh, the contractor that was selected had no prior experience in building a surgery center, although they had built several clinics and medical office buildings. The surgeon that hired the contractor had been in conversations with me as long as two years prior to that, which made me surprised that when they called me up and I'd heard about it, that they went ahead and contacted the contractor uh, without further discussing it with us. She did call us, though, realizing that she needed expertise in the regulatory compliance part of the project, as well as setting up the legal entity and writing their policies and procedures. It was at that time that we convinced her that we had to be on the team to review the architect plans before they started to work. Kathy, to your earlier point, we found that we were educating the contractor that uh, just because they had submitted the plans to the state engineering department and had to go ahead on that point, that that didn't mean that it was going to pass the test with the Department of Health regulatory branch. He argued that some state engineer looked at them and approved it, and that was good. But again, once you, Kathy, got involved discussing some Life Safety Code 2012 issues, layout of the patient flow, some modifications that just had to be made to the drawing. So it is important to realize that someone needs to be hired on the front end that has experience with regulatory compliance, experience with patient flow that makes sense, nursing ergonomics, knows the updated Life Safety Code 2012 guidelines, and experience in dealing with uh, both departments of the Department of Health. We're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsor. Did you know that becoming an Excellentia All Access e-member that you can see all of our future webinars absolutely free? 
Not only do you get to see them, but can allow your staff and providers to sit in on the webinar and receive the benefits of the training as well as receive contact hours and certificates of participation for no additional cost. Check out the All Access e-membership on our website at www.excellentiagroup.com and look out for the e-membership info menu tab. The other issue that we've encountered in our last three projects is that once the contractor is hired, they all seem to have a close relationship with a vendor or vendors for the big capital equipment, such as the, the big sterilizer or the OR lights. In our case, it has always been Steris. The Steris rep is right there in the very beginning with their product, you know, wiring and plumbing specs, and that's what they give the architects, and that's what is, you know, drawn into the plan. So once you get your, your specs drawn in the plan, it's, it's a done deal, right? Well, don't get me wrong. We, we love Steris products. They are outstanding products but they are expensive and they will sell them to the surgeon at list price. If no one is involved on the front end negotiating price are insisting that the products are bought through your buying group. And if you don't have a buying group, then you know, you need to immediately set up one. That's what I do as early as possible. So that all of your equipment, furniture supplies are purchased through them. In fact, in my recent conversations with HPG health trust, as well as the premier buying groups, Almost all of your building supplies can be purchased through a GPO. Almost always will the contractor decide on what materials they will be using based upon prior vendor relationships, friendships, good old boys, or they will send out bids to a group of vendors and then take the lowest bid. Your team or project manager needs to assure you that the product and services that you're contracted for are the best quality for the price. Okay, well, let's say you have the right architect, or maybe you figured it out soon enough, as in Roger's project, and the process is rolling. My next suggestion is to have a clinician, one who understands you and your partners, how you practice, take a look at the plans with being mindful of patient flow. This person should also be aware of the ASC rules. Is there enough storage space? Do you have a private patient space? How about appropriate access to delivery of those medical gases? You may have a director of nursing in place if this is a relocation. Your development team may have one on their team in the mix someplace. That is one of the roles I play when we're doing development. This person does not need to be the lead. That is generally the architect, but they at least need to offer a watchful eye kind of having a seat at the table, so to speak. Okay, so what's next? This may seem too early, but not so. You need to draft out your equipment needs early on before the plans are approved. I'm going to let Roger explain this part as he generally manages our equipment s selection and sort of has already alluded to this process earlier. Well, I like to interview the surgeons to find out what equipment and instruments that they will be using. Then I want to know about brand loyalty and the must-have brands. Every surgeon ha has a must-have brand. I bring in the discussion immediately about allowing me to set up a GPO membership or a group purchasing organization. We have discussions about new versus refurbished equipment. We talk about where I think we will be able to get the best price and as well as the best quality for the new item, but maybe by switching brands. We also talk about their comfort level on the refurbished issue, and usually I encourage them to buy new on things like the big sterilizer and uh, anesthesia machines. But if they are cost-driven and they're really not worried about used equipment, I then will research refurbisher options that exist across the country. 
you have to be very careful that your refurbisher is bringing the product back to its original manufacturer working condition by replacing electronic circuit boards, for instance, or other important parts. And they will give at least a one-year warranty on their work. Not all refurbishers do that. Some just clean it up, brush it up, make it look good, and offer little or no warranty. So be careful here. We also discussed the need and desire to purchase some extra warranty protection on their equipment. So all of these costs need, need to be collected and put in the budget and pro forma in the very beginning. Many surgeons may still be at the stage, however, creating the budget and pro forma just to get their initial financing. Okay, now that we've got everybody going in the correct direction, what should be happening behind the scenes? All the various paperwork. There are multiple steps that need to occur before you can get your 855B. The 855B is needed before you can get anyone in to do a deemed status survey. State's going to schedule an appointment and come in and do the licensure survey, which, by the way, is complete before you start seeing patients. But after the facility is 100% ready, so they've got their occupancy permit, their DON, you've got all the staff hired and trained, you've got supplies, you've got drugs, it's, it's ready to roll. So when state walks out the door, if they give you the thumbs up, you get to start seeing patients right away. Not that you will open the floodgates, but you can. At this point, I should say, if you're a cash facility, yes, you can stop here and just go about your business. But most of you are going to accept Medicare patients and or commercial payers. So you're going to need a Medicare license, thus the 855B. Once you fill that paperwork out and get it back, gosh, that can take anywhere from 120 days, 60 to 120 days, maybe more, depending on what's going on with the government. But once you get that back, you can apply for your next survey, that unannounced survey that you're going to get from AAAHC, Quad ASF, HVAP, IMQ, or the Joint Commission. It's going to take them a bit to process everything. During that time while you're waiting, you're going to want to do about 10 to 15 patients, depending on the requirement for from the accreditation organization that you choose. There's every reason to believe you will not be reimbursed for these test cases. So do yourself a favor and don't do anything with implants or anything that requires heavy supply and personnel costs. If you can, after you get those 10 or 15 cases, stop. Again, you're not in a reimbursable window, so to speak. However, know that you will need to have a ready and waiting patient because your upcoming survey, the one that's going to be unannounced I mentioned, they must watch a procedure. Now, if you followed our initial chain of events, you should do well on your deemed status survey, minus maybe a few surveyor-specific findings. Your goal at this point is to downplay as much as possible any life safety issues or infection control issues. Those can be deal breakers. And you're going to be, if that happens, delayed again. And worse yet, depending on the scope of the issues, require a revisit from the accrediting organization, which sadly you're going to have to pay for again. This is a very elementary discussion of opening an ASC. You can save yourself a great deal of expense and grief by getting the right team in place from the start. Roger, do you have any closing thoughts? Well, yes, I guess so. Um, Surgeons are visionaries. They are the enthusiasm behind the dream. And obviously, they're the drivers of the revenue that will be made in the surgery center once it's built. 
They're very smart, generally quick learners as to how the surgery center development process will unfold. What we're talking about this today for is because even though those surgeons are that, what I just described, I think that surgeons need to be surgeons and not developers. I think in our experience, the surgeons have come to realize that, and very early in the process when they're asked to be part of the meeting upon meeting, upon planning meetings, approval meetings, to be available uh, quickly to make some quick decisions, they realize that they don't want to be involved in all of that. Surgeons realize that developing a surgery center can be a huge time consumer, and they need, again, to be surgeons and continue to drive the revenue stream. Kathy and I position ourselves to be the project manager. That saves the surgeons all the time and headaches of dealing with contractors as well as to challenge the contractor on each step of the process so that the surgeon isn't placed in a situation of being misled or the victim of erroneous decisions on the part of the contractor. I would say that any surgeon listening to this podcast that is contemplating a new ASC build, don't rely upon the contractor as your project manager. You will find that it will cost you in the long run when you find that things should have been done differently. Clearly, this is a big undertaking. Once it's all over and you can bill, everybody sleeps a lot better at night. One other option I just want to mention, I have clients that rented first and as they grew, then moved in to build. Doesn't work for everybody, but definitely an option to consider. Hopefully you found this discussion interesting. If you're in the process and you've landed your DON or administrator, this would be a great time to get them all the tools and training they need by enrolling them in our upcoming ASC administrators course that we're going to be holding next month. You'll find all the information on our website. Well, until next week, thanks for listening, everyone. Goodbye. Goodbye. Be sure to find us on Stitcher, iTunes, TuneIn, and Spotify, and subscribe so you can get updates whenever we release new episodes. Did you love this episode of Excellentia Podcast? Please take a moment to rate and review us on iTunes and Stitcher to help us get the word out. Thanks for tuning in.